the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. And Lizzie, it's been a while. Um, It's been two weeks. We've taken a little break. And then also it's been like two months since we actually recorded an episode. (laughs) I know. I I missed um, it. What's up? What's new with Um, you? I mean, a lot has happened in the last two and a half months. (laughs) Yeah. I'll give us a quick Um, summary, please. I had a birthday. Ooh. I turned 26. I also got Yay. my visa approved for those following along with me always talking about my visa. Yay. Also So exciting. huge win. I can stay in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Nice. Huge win for Lizzie Nation. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, those were the big things. I also went to this exhibit. I already told you about this, obviously, at the Stedelijk Museum in Amsterdam. And there was um, this artist, Abjias Nascimento, who does, like, well, he's no longer alive, but he did, like, he incorporated themes of Yoruba mythology into his art, which was very cool. Because I was like, oh, oh, good. That's really awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. I was like, oh, this is just like in with the ladies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is really fun. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. And. And, and so I just think it's fun when I see mytho ladies out in the wild and I'm like, oh, it's so always talked about them. Yeah, I agree. It's really fun. And it's really, it's really cool how like through our research on this podcast that like we're able to understand like the references to specific mythologies and women in mythology. And cultures that we wouldn't have known about before. Yeah. 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 I didn't know anything about your mythology until we started this podcast yeah and, and it's everywhere a <laughs> yeah people reference it a lot and it's really cool to be able to understand that better a bit better now yeah exactly yeah how are you i'm all right i'm still recovering from my two month long russian summer intensive program that i just was at which is crazy to think about because none of it feels real you spoke um, so much russian I did speak so much Russian, Lizzie. Can't emphasize how much Russian I spoke. You started just oh typing in Russian, and I'm like, I don't know what you're saying, but awesome. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> thought that people would just type it into Google Translate. I don't know. You guys Fair are enough. independent women. You can, you can do that. <laughs> um, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I was at a two-month-long Russian intensive summer program. I spoke lots of Russian. I am now at able to take third year Russian in the fall, which is very exciting. And yeah, uh, like I said, none of it feels real because it all happened very fast. And now I'm back home and I'm like, did that even happen? Like, <laughs> you only been back I, home for like even... five days. I've been back home for like three days. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know that it just sounds like a fake thing that like didn't happen. Like, so I'm, but I'm back here now, and I'm recording again. So that's exciting. And now you're really good at Russian. I'm I'm better at Russian than I was before. But yeah, but I was at level two out of levels of six levels of Russian. So there were some people there who were really good at Russian. Yeah. I was like, what do you what do you even learn here? 
I don't know. You probably just like sit in a classroom and talk with each other for like four hours a day, just like vibe. I don't know. I think it's awesome when people yeah. learn languages that are not just like Spanish and French. Nothing. No offense to those yes. languages. I learn French, but like, yes, awesome. I would love to learn Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be fair though, this program is full, which I di- I didn't know. Full disclosure, I did not know um, when I applied and decided to do this program, but it is fully funded by the Department of Defense. And that's why the languages that are being taught at this program in person are Russian, Chinese, and Arabic. Um, But anyways, anyways. I want to do the Chinese one. That sounds awesome. The Chinese one, every time I passed the students speaking Chinese and they were just like talking to each other in Chinese, I was like, you people are the coolest people I've ever met in my life. I am so (laughs) impressed. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, oh my gosh. Like Chinese is awesome. Chinese is so cool. It's so hard. And people who can, like, actually, like, semi-fluently speak in Chinese if it's not, like, their native language. I'm just, like, so impressed by them. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyways, but before we begin, we have a few orders of business. First of all, we have a Kofi that you should donate to and give us money to if you would Please, like. if you are able to. We have some very fun bonus episodes that you can only access if you donate. Um, you can do one-time or recurring donations, and either one will get you access to our bonus content. And I personally think that both bonus episodes are super fun. Um, I agree. We're both talking about books that relate to our content. Mythology, etc. Uh, oh, yeah. Mythology. <laughs> <That too. laughs> mythological adaptations. Um, I think and, our yeah, Trojan think really Women fun. one was, like, so fun. The one where we talked about a thousand yeah. Natalie Haynes, and we were just, like, totally mm-hmm. just being intellectuals. It was awesome. Yeah, like, just considering, you know, the purpose of mythology rewrites, in particular Greek mythology rewrites, because that's such a common trend in literature that we're seeing nowadays. And, like, what's the purpose of that? Yeah, and we ruminate. We do ruminate. (laughs) We think we ruminate. Um, Yes, very intellectual (laughs) discussion. Um, But, yeah. Um, Speaking of books, we also um, have, if people recall from episode 25, our very lovely, super cool and super smart guest star, Haley Spencer, who was talking with us about different iterations of the Cinderella um, archetype in folklore across the world, has a book that's coming out in the fall that is called Stories for When the Wolves Arrive. And we will have a link for where you can pre-order that in our show description so you can should definitely go check that out because it's gonna be really cool and her episode was really awesome and she blew our minds and that was such a fun episode genuinely one of my favorite episodes still me too because it was so fun it was awesome so lizzie now that we're back who are we talking about today I am really excited to uh, introduce today's lady to you. So <laughs> um, today mm-hmm. today we are talking about the Rusalka. Ah. This is exciting to Zoe, in my opinion, for two reasons. First of all, it's Because Slavic. it's Russian. Yeah. And also because there is... Yeah, Slavic. And Venezia. also because there is a Decembrist song about yes. the Rusalka. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. I was hoping you would mention that. It's a really good song. I would recommend it's it. It's a good um, song. I listened to it for the episode. It was really fun. It's like eight yes. minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, so... tell me about this lady. Tell me about this Slavic lady who... Do you yes, know so... Do you know about the Rusalka? So the Rusalka... Well, so Rusalka, I think, could 
be in like Slavic languages could just mean mermaid in general, but I think also specifically refers to a woman who lives in um, bodies of water and may or may not lure men to their deaths by drowning. Correct. They may or may not lure men to their deaths. That's completely correct. So uh-huh. the Rusalka is a type of shape-shifting water creature from Slavic folklore. Mm-hmm. The name Rusalka originally came from the Latin Rosalia, meaning Festival of the Roses. Oh. Yeah. Um, so it, it entered Slavic languages through Byzantine Greek, Rusalia. And Rosalia is a name for the Christian holiday Pentecost, in which... Mm. That was when the Rusalki typically emerged. Interesting. Yeah. So Rusalki are also known by... Rusalki is the plural form. It is. Rusalka. Rusalki mm-hmm. are also known by several other names, such as Mavki, Navki, which derives from Nava, the sea in the underworld, Kupalki, which means bathers, mm-hmm. Vodjanice, which comes from Voda, water. Indeed. And there's some other older terms include Shitovka, which means jokestress. Interesting. Loskatucha, which means tickler. Oh. And he, you'll see why in a sort of shortly. <laughs> and I don't Hitka, like that one. <laughs> no, not so much. Chitka, abductor, abductress, you know. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Rusalka is the most common term from what I have seen. So Rusalki are water nymphs, similar to sirens or naiads, and they're found in countries throughout Eastern and Central Europe and the Balkans. They are said to sit on the banks of rivers and lakes or climb trees that hang over the water and comb their golden or green hair while gazing at their reflections. They gather outside of the water on clear, moonlit nights to dance and sing, but they can't live outside of the water too long. Mm. However, if Rusalka has her comb on her, she'll be okay, since their combs have the ability to conjure water anywhere. Rusalki are often the spirits of women who drowned or died near bodies of water. They are typically depicted similar to human women, though sometimes they have tails similar to a mermaid, and other times they're able to shapeshift into other aquatic creatures like fish or toads. And I also saw birds mentioned a couple times that they have bird-like iconography as well. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because that that goes with the siren thing. Because remember when we found out that sirens are not mermaids, but like... They're birds. (laughs) They're like birds. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And But their their lore is very varied. It's very different Mm -hmm. in a bunch of different places. I mean, it's literally many different countries and regions. I bet, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there's evidence of belief in Rusalki in many places throughout Eastern and Central Europe, and their legends vary a lot regionally. It seems that most legends about Rusalki involve belief that they are spirits of drowned women, specifically women mm-hmm. who died, quote, before their time, meaning in this case that they died before they could become mothers, and who therefore had no descendants mm-hmm. and no stake in the lives of the living. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I like the implication that women who die after they give birth, like, whatever, who cares, <laughs> you know? Yeah, they've done their job, right? Yeah, like, uh, whatever, you've good <laughs> enough. <laughs> and so they represented loose ends on a family tree, and potentially, in the case of women who had been abused, they could hold grudges and might behave spitefully. Good for them. Yeah, exactly. But also... Evidently, since there was a folk belief that since maidens possessed the ability to reproduce, this fertility that had gone unused could be transferred to one's family, flock, and fields. 
So thus, Rusalki were thought to bring fertility and moisture to the lands, and it was also thought that where they frolicked, the grass would grow thicker. Interesting. So because they die when they're maidens, like, they can bring about fertility, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, there's, it's very dual, right? And it also makes sense because they're water yeah. creatures. Like yeah. Water, fertility, mm-hmm. clear association. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. However, they also had a more negative reputation as well. They were said to find human companions and then lure them to their death so that they would have company in their underwater palaces. This mm-hmm. sometimes included young children, but for the most part, they targeted men. They would leave mm-hmm. the water and call out young men's names at random, and if a man was foolish enough to reply, then the Rasaga had him in her power and lured him into games and eventually drowned him. Yeah, I like the idea that they'll just be like, oh, Ivan, like... I, that's Victor. exactly like, what I was thinking. I was like, <laughs> like this random, they're just like yelling like Ivan, Ivan, and then like, of course there's an Ivan somewhere because it's Ivan, and then they're like, and then the poor Ivan Ivanovich is like, oh, someone's, <laughs> someone's calling, calling my name. <laughs> <laughs> However, some men were resistant to the charms of Rusalki, and in this case, the Rusalki would tickle him until he fell down and then drag him underwater. Oh, that's horrible. It sounds like <laughs> such a horrible way to go. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And yeah, the thing about Rasalki tickling their victims to death came up several times. It seems to be a rather common aspect. But uh-huh. but, but there are ways to protect yourself from Rasalka's charms. Naturally, Apparently, naturally. Of course. Do you want to guess a way to resist the Rasalka? Oh, no. I, I, I have no idea. There's, <laughs> wear red. Wear red. No. I mean, maybe. I didn't, okay. <laughs> I didn't come across that. Anyway. Okay. Apparently in Russia, it is commonly said that if you venture into the woods around Trinity Sunday, you should bring a sprig mm. of wormwood with you. Oh. And, and a Rusalka could run up to you and demand whether you were carrying wormwood or parsley. And if you say wormwood, she'll scream and run past, at which point you should attempt to throw the wormwood into her eyes. But if you answer parsley, yeah. she will say, oh, my darling, and then tickle you to death. Wow. So what if you just lied and said that you had wormwood when you had parsley? Then like, you're fine. What would happen then? You're, that's okay. that's the way so to like, outsmart. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I love when folklore is like, lying is good sometimes. I like the assumption that you would either be carrying wormwood or parsley at all times. <laughs> well, it is Russia, so the parsley does make sense. What if you don't have any herbs on you at all? I don't know. She probably still attacks you, right? And you could, I mean, I guess. I mean, maybe it's only if you're carrying an herb that she does this. Maybe she's like, ooh. Yeah, maybe she only wants to know if you're carrying an herb. Yeah. Yeah. And you could also ward them away with the sign of the cross. Of course. That's what I was get, getting at a bit earlier. Yeah. Oh, okay. I did not get that. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's interesting that, like, some of this stuff kind of reminds me of our Celtic fairies episode. Of the kind of like trickstery oh, yeah. vibes, and mm-hmm. you'll you'll uh, you'll see what I mean even more so in a moment. Uh huh. Okay. There are also some stories about men being able to take a Rusalka home with them, transform her into Ooh. a human through baptism, and marry her. Of course. In one story from the Smolensk province in Russia, a man claimed that his great grandfather had captured a Rusalka by pulling her into a magic circle and putting his cross on her. Mm. He took her back to his home where she performed women's tasks for a year, 
But then the following Rasalka week, which more on that later, mm-hmm. she returned to the forest. Sounds like Selkies. Exactly, yeah. No, yeah. that's what I was also thinking. And in the north of Russia, it was less common to view Rasalki as beautiful, enticing young women. They were thought to be ugly, haggard, and cruel, with long arms and abnormally large breasts. According to Ooh. Elizabeth Wayland Barber in The Dancing Goddesses, Folklore, Archaeology, and the Origins of European Dance, the regional differences could be due to how hard or easy it is to grow crops and take care of livestock in these areas, since Rusalki are mm-hmm. in charge of fertility. Yeah. Makes sense. So the geography of the area could possibly influence people's conceptions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. And just the connection with fertility. If the land is more fertile, you'll probably have more Rusalki, and they're probably going to be a little bit more favorable. Yeah. Although the the large breasts still implies fertility. Right, exactly. Way, right? Like yeah. you know, the large like the large breasts detail does imply fertility in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I guess I guess they're they're still fertile but just rarer and more mean, I don't know. Yeah, and uglier, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. You would think it would be the other way around actually. Like You would, but I don't know. I guess they're just not as fond of the idea in the north. Or maybe it's because, like, oh, they're in charge of fertility and they're kind of failing us right now, so they suck. Yeah. Or, like, there's they're just not that fertile, you know? Yeah. They're just, like, Oh, yeah, because old, old women. <laughs> old women. Yeah. They're not maidens. Haha. <laughs> old women, am I right? <laughs> Gross. <laughs> That's just such a theme. <laughs> like, folklore in general. Anyway, so I love the assumption that you can't be, like, like, you have to be ugly and old or beautiful and young. No crossover there. Yeah. Yeah, there's no... Can't be ugly and young. Yeah, I don't... I mean, like, I'm just... I am could be very much wrong, but, like, I can't think of any myth right now that's, like, this ugly young woman. Yeah, unless it's, know. like... Unless it's, like, in comparison to a beautiful young woman. Yeah. Anyway, so what these two types of depictions have in common, ugly versus beautiful, is that they were spirits of drowned women, typically, and that they wore their hair long, loose, and uncovered. And in contrast, Mm. village village women wore their hair neatly braided, and Mm -hmm. usually with a hair scarf. Yeah. Women with long, loose hair were thought to be no better than a Ruselka or a witch, and this even gave way to the Russian saying, she's let her hair down like a Ruselka. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And there were also stories of Rusalki helping people and giving them gifts. In a story from Belarus, a human woman saw a little boy sleeping on a birch branch and took off her apron and covered the boy with it. Then a Rusalka came and touched her hand and said the words, fight in your hands for you. And after that, the woman began to work so strongly that everyone wondered where her strength came from. Wow. So super strength gift yeah yeah that is good in a similar story from slovenia a small half-blind shepherd came across a hazel thicket where a risalka was caught by her hair he helped her and in return she gifted him handsomeness and strength superior to his peers nice good for him yeah so super strength again awesome yeah kind of a sweet gift yeah and i mean it's like it's, you know, it's a thing we see a lot in, like, sort of fairy stories where it's, like, you help them or you show yourself to be a good person and you're rewarded, right? Yeah, exactly. So I mentioned earlier that Rosalki are associated with the holiday of Rosalia or Pentecost, the summer feast mm-hmm. held 50 days after Easter. Mm-hmm. They're also associated with Green Week. Do you know what that is? No. Ooh. So Green Week, also known as Rusalka Week, which is a Slavic festival celebrated during the week leading up to Pentecost. Uh, Rusalka Week is associated with the, quote, unclean dead, or those who died prematurely. 
but it's also associated with the coming of spring. Huh. Yeah, it's like early June. That's really cool. Yeah, it could be an Eastern Orthodox thing. Yeah, yeah. But no, that's really interesting. Yeah, they will week. Kind of awesome. Yeah. It's kind of like a... I was going to say it's like a midsummer festival, but it's not because it's like a spring festival, not a summer festival. I mean, there, I feel like there are some similarities, kind of, yeah. as you'll see what I mean uh-huh. in a moment. Okay. Rusalki were important during this week because they were either more active during this week or this was the one time of year when they left their underwater homes and spent time on land. Hmm. So you would see more of them during Rusalka week. So it was important for people to appease them to avoid angering them. Hmm. Rusalki could either harm the people by playing pranks and killing them. Oh. <laughs> or they could take their anger out on crops and livestock for the coming year. Oh, gosh. Neither of those things are good. Yeah, because exactly. it was like a fear that everything would just go horribly if the Rusalki just like interfere. Yeah. Okay. So it was extra important during this week to both venerate the Rosalki, to avoid facing their wrath, and also to try to ward them off. Interesting. During this week, women would leave them offerings of scarves, linen, cooked eggs, which were symbols of rebirth, and garlands. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah. Since the Rosalki were also associated with birch trees, it was also common to decorate homes with birch branches and venerate the trees themselves, either in the forest or by chopping down a birch tree and bringing it to the village. And the tree was decorated with cloth, threads, and garlands, and village girls wove garlands and sang and danced around the tree. That's really cool. So that way it's kind of got a midsummer vibe right yeah. or is that may day that i'm thinking of we yeah. all dance around a that tree. is a may day maypole yeah that's a that's a may thing it's like dancing with garlands and stuff yeah. although i guess that's in in midsummer the movie that they do that too right <laughs> i guess so right <laughs> i mean yeah oh, I, you probably I haven't seen it right no, I've seen it. Oh, you have? Okay. Not recently. Yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously, again, I'm not an expert, but that sounds a lot like pre-Christian traditions that were then like syncretized into Christianity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I completely like, agree. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I mean, that sounds a lot like some... Yeah. That sounds like pre-Christian stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And on Trinity Sunday... Girls used their garlands in divination rituals and threw them in the water, and in some places, it was believed that if a garland sank, the girl would die. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Big okay. grim. Yeah. And then girls would girls would wait a week before returning to the forest, and people would also avoid swimming during this week so they wouldn't be drowned by a Rusalka. That is smart. It's like a very scary week. Yeah. And another feature of Rusalka week was the farewell burial of the Rusalka, which served the purposes of commemorating the unclean dead and also banishing the Rusalki so that they wouldn't cause harm. Nice. And so this rite was widespread in the 19th century, but seems to be uncommon now. And people would often create a representation of a Rusalka, which would usually be a village girl or an effigy of a female figure. And a procession led the Rusalka out of the village, and sometimes people would burn down, drown, or tear apart the dummy. Ah. Uh, yeah. Nice. Love a good effigy. <laughs> yeah. And these rituals can also be interpreted as representing the banishment of winter and welcoming of spring. Or as the mm-hmm. destruction of old but old vegetation to make room for new vegetation. Wow, this is really interesting. It's kind of awesome that they're not just like oh scary spirits who will drown you, but also like they control fertility. Yeah, so you need awesome. to be careful. You need like a fine line. You can't get rid of them fully. Yeah, so it's not like just like a scary little urban legend kind of thing. It's like very active in your daily life of being like it's not, it's not just that I'm gonna drown. It's also that the crops could, could all die crops, and we could. Yeah have a famine or something yeah 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 very powerful spirits 
Yeah, it's pretty sweet. And since the Rasalki were thought to influence the fertility of crops, these funerals served the purpose of safeguarding crops. Rusalki were tolerated during Rusalka week, but by the end, people wanted them to go back to their natural habitat. Mm. As easily as they could encourage growth and moisture, they could also trample young crops or cause torrential rain or storms. In addition, the longer Rusalki stayed out of the water, crops risked drying up and dying. So, all in all, it's in the best interest of everyone if Rusalki were back in their natural wet habitat, mm-hmm. which were also regarded as appropriate places for the unclean dead in general. So yeah, and I feel like once Rusalka week is over, you can be like, oh, phew, our crops survived. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like the for one now. week. For now. Until next year. Fun little festivities, but also fear. <laughs> for the coming year. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the, from a ritual standpoint, it's very much the banish unclean spirits. Let's like do some sacrifices in order to ensure that our crops are healthy and we have like a good harvest and are able to survive the year sort of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And there are also several folktales about specific Rusalki. So I have three stories. First one, Russian. Ooh. This is a folktale that tells the story of a woman named Marina, and she was in love with a handsome oh, of man. <laughs> she was in love with a handsome man called Ivan Ivan Kur- <laughs> Ivan Ivan Kurchavi. Interesting. And on the day of his wedding to another woman, she threw herself in the Volga River, and she became a Rusalka. And she would sit on the riverbank and comb her hair and gaze at the hut where Ivan lived with his new wife and sing mournfully. Mournfully. Dang. <laughs> And then Ivan heard that Marina drowned herself out of love for him and now lived as a Rusalka who frightened people and capsized boats. And his heart broke. He began rowing to the middle of the water at midnight and playing sad songs on his dulcimer. Oh my gosh. And Marina would meet him and and they would embrace and talk and laugh. Wow. (laughs) If he's your man, why is he rowing to the center of the river and playing sad songs on his dulcimer for me? I know, he's literally married. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And Ivan Ivan continued doing this until one day he disappeared. Oh. And then later he appeared to his wife and said to her, do not grieve over me, little wife. I live happily with Marina on the bottom of Mother Volga. Wow. That sucks for for his wife. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just like, imagine you get married to this guy and then his ex is just like crying outside your window all the time. Like, yeah. And then he starts to go out into the river to play the dulcimer for her. Oh, poor, oh, poor, poor lady. I know. Yeah. Anyway, another folktale from Bulgaria tells the story of a Rusalka named Radka. Mm. Once, Stion, the shepherd, was walking through a forest near a remote mountain lake when he heard the sound of girls' laughter and dancing feet. He knew he should sneak away for fear of his life, but he had always wanted to catch a glimpse of Rusalki, so he stayed to spy on them. Ugh, fatal mistake. Very stupid thing to do. He didn't see anyone near the edge of the lake, but he did see three piles of clothes, each consisting of a white chemise, a green sash, and a pair of wings. Oh. He heard the sound of splashing and knew the Rusalki were coming back to retrieve their clothes, so he snatched all three piles and hid behind a tree. Oh my gosh. Guy sucks. He's not acting smart right now. Mm-hmm. The three Rusalki were distressed that their clothes were gone because without them, they would turn into ordinary maidens, so they ran around looking for their clothes. Stian finally caught a glimpse of them and saw the three most beautiful women he had ever seen, and he thought one of them was even more beautiful than the other two. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 
I feel like you can kind of tell what's going to happen now. Um, something bad is going to happen to this guy. Or he's going to get married. Correct. That's one of those two. <laughs> one of those two. <laughs> so, Stion tossed the clothing bundles of the other two back to them, but kept the third, the one belonging to the most beautiful one, Radka, or Joy, mm-hmm. and he refused to give them back. Without her clothes, Rodka was powerless, so she had no choice but to follow him back to his home in the village and become his wife. Yeah. After a while, Rodka gave birth to a son, and Stion hosted the baby's baptism. Stion's friends told him that they had always wanted to see the Rusalki dance, so he should make his wife dance for them. Oh my gosh. Rodka? I know, they're literally so horrible to her. These people suck so much. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Rodka refused saying that she couldn't dance without her white chemise, green sash, and wings. Mm. Stian was hesitant to give her clothes back because he feared that she would leave and never return. And his friend said, she is married and has a child, and no mother can bear to leave her child. Which persuaded Stian, so, so he fetched her clothes for her. Yeah, really good logic from them. That's what I always say. <laughs> Rodka changed into her clothes and no longer resembled his bride, but a Rusalka of the lakes and forests. Stion began to get scared and blocked all Good. the entrances in his home to prevent her escape. <laughs> Rodka danced and everyone was enchanted. She rolled around the room and flew up and out the chimney. Good. Yeah, good for her. Stion rushed outside to beg her not to leave her child, and she said to him, Surely you know, Stion, that a Rusalka cannot keep house, a Rusalka cannot nurture children. Seek me, Stion, there in the forest of the Regal Mountains on the Rusalki playground beside the Rusalki Lake. Then she flew away, the end. Good for her. Oh, I know. I like that. That was a good ending. I know. It reminded me so much of this story you told me. I think it was Selkie's, about a Selkie who leaves her children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, of course she's not going to stay for her human children because she's not human. Like, it's yeah, not her and nature. she's been trapped. She's been trapped in yeah. order to have these children. And they're, like, trapping her there. Like, Yeah, and it's like, well, how could a woman leave her children? It's like, well, she's not a woman. She's a Roselka. You know? Yeah. She's a Selkie. Yeah. Ooh, the cousins yeah. sound kind of similar, don't they? Selkie. Interesting. Rusalka. Barely. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Linguistics. <yeah. laughs> I've seen the connection. That's how language Connecting works. the dots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But similar similar vibes, though. Like, yeah, you mm-hmm. can't just you can't just keep her there forever. Like, she's a human woman. She That's not her nature to just stay and keep yeah. house for you. Yeah. Also, I like the thing about how, like, when she has her... Rusalka clothes on again. She's a Rusalka again. Like, ooh, the transformative little outfit. Kind of awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I hope she looked, like, really scary when she was wearing her clothes. Mm. Very cool. The last story I'll tell you is one from Slavic folklore about the goddess Kostroma. So, she and her brother Kupala were twins, but at some point they were separated, and Kupala was carried into the underworld. So they grew up separately and didn't know each other. Mm. One day, Kostroma went to the river Volga and made a wreath, and the wind knocked it off her head into the water. Mm. Kupala was nearby in a boat, and he picked up Kostroma's wreath, which traditionally meant that the two were to be married. Mm, I knew this was going to (laughs) happen. So they got married, and after the wedding, the gods told them that they were siblings. Oh, just after the wedding. Right? Like, oh, by the way. They should have waited until after the wedding. (laughs) Of course they do that. Oh my god. Right? Typical so, gods. I know. <laughs> so they're obviously horrified. 
And Kapala jumped into the fire and died, and Kostroma threw herself into a lake and drowned. And then she became a Rasalka and lured men into the water and drowned them. Good for her, I guess. <laughs> but then the gods repented and turned them into flowers. The end. Okay. You know what's interesting, you know what's interesting though, is that in some pantheons, it's super normal for a brother and sister god to be married. But I guess not here. Yeah, I mean, I guess not, yeah. I think, I wonder if it's because, like, they're more, like, modeled after common people. I don't know. Than, like, royalty in this situation. Maybe. And therefore it's frowned upon for them to marry siblings. I don't know. I know nothing about Slavic mythology. Because it's super old. Yeah. Anyway, though. It's super old. I mean, I've, I think the wreath thing just sounds more like, a, you know, a, a peasant custom yeah. than like a, a royal custom you know what i mean so like, yeah. yeah yeah but i don't know yeah I, I just think it's so funny and by funny i mean like annoying that the gods are like oh by the way yeah like we knew this the whole time but we were just waiting to tell by you the until way, after you were we married knew, but we're, we were gonna wait until after you got married we could have told you now but no like okay honestly what was their plan there? Anyway, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I love Rusalki, obviously. I'm having a great time. <laughs> I think, it, again, you know, we have our water ladies. We have our water ladies that are sed- evil seductresses and are beautiful. I think it's interesting that they have a bit more depth to them, like, immediately. Because I think that mm-hmm. you can sort of see the implications with a lot of water ladies that are evil seductresses, like... The fact that they're associated with water means, like, fertility and stuff. But it's more at the forefront with Rusalki. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, they're directly associated with fertility, which is really interesting. Yeah. And in, in, in the childbirth way and in the crop way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that it's also interesting that I forgot what I was going to say. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> I think they're really interesting because there's so much... Oh, yeah, that they're, like, yeah, they're so much. And also that they're, like, directly, like, interacted with and sort of worshipped in the... the villages. In the villages during that week. um, Yeah. During the week. Because that's really interesting because that shows, like, they're very powerful and they probably have, like, very powerful origins. Whereas, like, with other women who are similar, who are associated with water and are scary and, like, seduce men and drown them. We see less of that. They're more, like, um, distant, kind of. They're more distant, and they're not necessarily, like, sacrificed to, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they sacrifice to them not just because they fear them and want to be on their good side, but also so that, like, their crops will succeed. Like, it's not just that they don't yeah. want to die. It's also that they care about, like, their crops yeah. and their flocks and everything. Yeah, which in its, itself is a huge amount of power for these women to have. Like, they, yeah. the fact that they have that power over crops is, like, they're much more than just the um, scary spirits. Scary water spirits. They, like, have actual real power over people's lives, which is really Yeah, they're very, like, close to the people, kind of, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, they have a very direct, like, impact on, like, their days and (laughs) their families, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and it's like they can't just do something to get rid of them because they need them. Yeah. They they have to have them, you know? Yeah, exactly. They don't don't, don't want them near them, but they don't... They want them to be, like, giving them good crops and, like, plenty of water and everything. Yeah, and they can't just, like, drive them all away because they they need that blessing. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I just thought of is that it's kind of like representative of the way that like virginal young women like maidens, Mm. the way that they're kind of like 
I don't have a full thought. I don't have a fully formed thought. So hopefully, you know, get where I'm going with this. But like the way that they're kind of like sacrificed for the greater good. Interesting. The way that they just like drown and then it's like, um, okay, yeah, now they're giving us fertile crops and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's like there's it's very interesting that these women are only allowed to they only they generally appear before women have given birth. And then this is sort of their way of like making up for that missed time and missed experience of like giving birth and reproducing yeah is by helping with crops instead and then it's also interesting that they're like oh because this woman hasn't give birth given birth she doesn't care about the people that she's around you know like she yeah right like weird. what about their like siblings and parents yeah like obviously women still care about their communities even if they haven't had a child like yeah but it's just so weird. And it's kind of like this fear of, like, women not giving birth. like Which, like, fair enough. Yeah. And, like, just, you know, communities, you need people to give birth. But, like, oh, it's so scary that a woman can die before ever being able to give birth. Because then she's not useful as her life is not useful. And so, therefore, she has to yeah. have another use, you know? Yeah. Well, and then it's also scary from, like, a woman's perspective of, like, okay, but if I die after I give birth, like, then I'm just nothing to you. Like, I've done my job and, like, you don't care about me anymore. Like, that's also scary. Yeah. Right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting ladies. I like them a lot. Yeah. But so, the Rasalga has been depicted frequently in art in Eastern and Central Europe. Mm -hmm. She was written about by Alexander Pushkin. Of course. In an incomplete dramatic poem that was then adapted into an opera by Alexander Dargamishsky. And Mikhail Lermontov also wrote a poem called Rusalka. Of course. And the Czech composer Antonin Dvořák wrote an opera called Rusalka. Wow. Which I think is like his most famous opera. I don't know. I wouldn't know. His most famous opera. Yeah, there is this one song that's really famous. I think it's called Song to the Moon. Uh, the only Dvorak song I know is the one that sounds like the Jaws theme. <laughs> I don't know. Awesome. Don't worry about it. I don't really know much about it, like opera. Anyway, so Darker Mishki's opera is about a young woman named Natasha who drowns herself after being jilted by a prince and then becomes a Rusalka. And Dvorak's opera tells a story very similar to The Little Mermaid, mm. where a Rusalka falls in love with a human prince and wishes to become human herself. And then Yuji Baba, aka Baba Yaga, yeah. grants her wish but takes away her voice. And then she has to make the prince fall in love with her or else she'll die and be eternally damned. Wow, so it's an opera where a woman doesn't have a voice. That's very interesting. <laughs> I mean, she probably has songs. I don't look that closely at it. Yeah. but Yeah, it's still interesting. Yeah, you're right about that. That is interesting. And it's very it's very similar to Disney's Little Mermaid. Like, we'll influence there. It has a happy ending. I don't know. <laughs> Probably <laughs> doesn't look that much into it. There. <laughs> yeah. And Rusalka also appears in a number of games, such as Magic the Gathering and Castlevania, Order of Ecclesia, and others. Yeah. And notably, the Decemberists released a song in 2018 called Rusalka Rusalka Wild Rushes, where the song's protagonist is enticed by Rusalka and drowns. Yeah, it's a good song. Famous because Zoe likes the Decemberist. <laughs> to me. Yes, famous. That's why it's, that's why it's because famous. Because of me. me. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, only a couple well, of years they're ago, only though. famous because I like them. <laughs> yeah, no, they released it on their last album. Yeah, yeah. It's a good song. <laughs> So when I saw that, I was like, oh, Zoe, I need to do this lady. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so I find Rusalki really interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, I find it fascinating how varied their lore is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're tragic heroines. Sometimes they're all-powerful spirits. Sometimes they're troublemakers. Sometimes they're malevolent. Sometimes multiple things at once. And their iconography also varies a lot from place to place. In some places, she's beautiful and young. And in some, she's ugly and old. 
Sometimes she's human-like. Sometimes she looks like a bird or fish or like can shapeshift. And sometimes she's solitary. Sometimes she appears in a group. And it's hard to describe the Rusalka at all when her legends vary so much and you can't really make any broadly applicable statements because there's going to be regional yeah. variation where it's just completely different. And similarly, you can't really pinpoint if she's a benevolent or malevolent figure because she's both. Yeah. And neither. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense that there's so much variation just because she is talked about and is present in mythology in so many places. Like, yeah, obviously exactly. there's going to be variation. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think I just water spirits in Europe in general, there's so many of them. And they're all kind of connected. Yeah, like Rusalka's... Rusalki is... Oh my gosh, that was really obnoxious. Sirens, naiads. Sirens, naiads, like Nixies and Nox, um, which are like Germanic spirits. Yeah. Um, all very similar. Um, yeah. Lots of different yeah. variations. Yeah. And some other, some other like Russian, like Slavic creatures that are similar as well yeah yeah i mean europe loves their water spirits exactly that's kind of interesting though that like she's a water spirit but she's also present in landlocked countries that's a very good point it's because she's a river spirit though isn't she's more yeah Yeah. she's more river rivers and lakes than like oceans yeah and that makes sense because there's a lot of significant rivers and lakes in eastern europe eastern central europe yeah especially in russia i mean mother volga Mother Volga. That's what I always call it. <laughs> I think it's really fun. <laughs> yeah, no. But yeah. Ivan, he called it. Ivan. Ivan Kurchavi called it Mother Volga. Anyway, so. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I wanted to discuss is the Christian associations with Rusalki that I came across. I'm sure that you also noticed this, like their, yeah. their associations with Christianity. Not always direct, mm-hmm. but yeah. And so I came across the idea of Rusalki being unbaptized souls several times. Yeah, that makes sense. Sometimes Rusalki can be the souls of newborn babies who died before they could be baptized. Sometimes you can transform a Rusalka into a human by baptizing them. And you can also ward off Rusalki sometimes by making the sign of the cross. Yes. In a story I read, a woman gave birth to stillborn twins. And then during Rusalka week, the dead babies jumped out at her and started shouting, my mother gave birth to me, gave me birth, but didn't baptize me. Why did you give birth to us and not baptize us? Because you were dead. Right. <laughs> and then the woman made a sign of the cross and managed to escape. So Christianity saves the day. <laughs> Yay. Love when it does that. <laughs> and so these stories are from 19th and early 20th century Russia, which was a time with a sort of double faith with widespread Orthodox Christianity, but where folk beliefs were also very much alive and common. Yeah. Which I think accounts for the Christian elements in the Rusalka myth, which is otherwise very kind of folkloric, traditional, and animistic. Yeah. Like pre-Christian elements. Absolutely. But. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, if I'm right in that a lot of this sounds like pre-Christian ideas, like, then it makes sense to make them sound evil, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because fear of the unknown, fear of like wildness etc. Or like if this is someone you're worshipping instead of God you need true. to make it be like this is actually evil and you need to worship the one true God who is good. Exactly. Because yeah and Christianity will save you <laughs> literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But since we're talking about Christian Dalmate of Russia in the 1800s, I just wanted to say that this was also a time of widespread anti-Semitism in Russia. Mm-hmm. And while I didn't find any link to Rusalki and anti-Semitism, I just want to point out that the link between Rusalki and being baptized and sort of their wildness and mm-hmm. danger points to a larger theme of xenophobia and fear of outsiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in general, I think Rusalki do represent a fear of the unknown, you know, mm-hmm. that was have been yeah. very present during this time. And so I just wanted to mention that I think it's questionable the fact that these particular facets of the Rusalka myth were very prominent during a time when Jews were being displaced and discriminated against by Russia, like, heavily. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to, like, make a broad statement or, like, even, like, a direct link between Rusalki and anti-Semitism. I just wanted to point out that the fact that these, like, scary, unknown creatures were able to be overcome by Christianity at a time and place with, like, rampant anti-Semitism is, like, it's questionable. Yeah. And also there's, like, some facets of it that are, like, ooh, child-stealing ladies, you yep. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, even if there's not a direct link, it just shows the prevailing attitude of the time that allowed the widespread anti-Semitism to flourish exactly. and yeah. be acted upon. Exactly. Just wanted to mention that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that being said, I came across an interesting analysis of the origins of the Rusalka in Mother Russia, the Feminine Myth in Russian Culture by Joanna Hubbs. Nice. And she argues that the Rusalka can be traced back thousands of years to ancient goddesses who were associated with bird, snake, and water imagery and could bring fertility mm-hmm. but also destroy things. Does that sound yeah. familiar to you? Um, I feel like bird, snake, and water imagery is really common for, like, ancient goddesses. Yeah. I think of a specific one, though. Is she... It- it's not Inanna, though. No, it's not it's not. It's not like a specific goddess in this case. Oh, okay, cool. She mentions a, a quote, bird-headed transformational goddess who accompanies humanity from the period of the hunt to that of horticulture, herding, and warfare, end quote. Which reminded me of what we talked about in the Medusa episode. Do you remember? Right, how, right, 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 yes. How Medusa may be a descendant of a Neolithic goddess associated with birds and snakes and who can mm-hmm. be both destructive and healing. Yeah. It was cool that it reminded me of that because I wouldn't have thought to link Medusa and the Rusalka at all. Yeah. And Hubs argues that the Rusalka were preceded more closely by the Slavic creatures Beragini, who were half-bird, half-fish female creatures known to swim near birch trees and who were also associated with fertility. But ultimately, creatures like the Rusalga, as well as sirens, naiads, harpies, etc., can all be seen as descendants of ancient goddesses, as she argues. Mm-hmm. And she mentions the fact that just as ancient goddesses were served by priestesses, Rusalki were also attended to mainly by the young girls of the village who would take part in the yeah, Rusalka yeah, rituals and visit lakes mm-hmm. and weave garlands. So this can be seen as remnants of sort of goddess worship, in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Which is interesting. And I feel like in, in most cases, we'll never know the exact origins of a mythological figure, so it's hard to prove or disprove. Mm-hmm. But after I read this, I realized how similar Rusalki are to goddess figures. Mm-hmm. They were venerated in rituals, they can control weather and crops, and they can be mm-hmm. either helpful or harmful to humans. Yeah. Similarly, gods are also both feared and venerated, and you want the gods' blessings, but you don't want to see or interact with them. Because they can cause you a lot of harm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the idea of, like, the god being the good, true source of help and, like, the one true source of goodness in the world is a very Christian idea. Definitely. Although, I guess, like, I mean, Zoroastrianism, you have the dual idea of, like, ultimate source of good, ultimate source of evil. But, like, in most religions before Christianity, I could be wrong. I don't know about Judaism in this case. But, like, it's less about the gods are less, like, the ultimate source of good and more just like powerful beings that like can help you or hurt you. Yeah. 
And I think it's important in like polytheistic religions that like there's not like a one like person or deity you're supposed to worship. Like there's many different deities yeah. for like many different purposes. Maybe 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 you're close to one deity but not another. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, the, obviously the Greek gods are a good example of, like, gods are not perfect, and they're kind of scary. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of, like, will worship them or, like, ask for their help with specific matters, but also, like, you can't really trust them. Yeah, exactly. They're very scary, and just, like, living under their reign is very scary because you have no idea what can happen. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to appease them. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> it feels like the current state of the Rusalka stories are remnants of pre-Christian folktales and myths mixed with centuries of Christian influence. So the varied nature of her folklore is extremely understandable when you take into account not only vast regional spread, but also the fact that Rusalka stories are descendants from stories with origins that are hundreds or thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. And I think it's awesome that she has so many different stories. And some of them are really specific, some of them are more general, some of them are like kind of scary. It's awesome. I think that her stories are really fun. Yeah, I agree. And she's not just like a little siren figure who lures men to their death. There's many different aspects of her. Yeah, it's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for Lizzie for this episode. Spasiva uh, Bolshoya. You are um, welcome. Wow, cringe. Anyways, um, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to say you're welcome in Russian. Pajalsta. It's the same Pajals- as please. Pajalsta. 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 Sure. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's not that bad. It's. It's really not. It's not that bad. Like you're doing fine. But I'm not going to be like, no, it's it's pronounced like this when you're like basically saying it correctly. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, if you enjoyed it, please feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your friends. And donate to our Kofi. And that's all for this week. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye.